I almost think of that story uniting a lot of the qualitative and quantitative work versus just looking at the artifacts. You're actually wrapping it up in something that is easily digestible by folks that may not necessarily be experts in some of these different sort of areas. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Harrison Wheeler. He's a UX design manager at LinkedIn. He's also the host of his own podcast, Technically Speaking. So check that out. Today, we're going to talk about storytelling and user research. So thank you so much, Harrison, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm super stoked about this topic. I think a lot of it was really inspired just how COVID-19 and the nature of our remote work has just transformed the way that we approach problem solving. Yeah, absolutely. We've tried to keep the podcast pretty evergreen for the most part, but since COVID has hit, it's just really not made sense to not talk about the world that we actually live in right now. So I've got JH here too. Yeah, I think I'm excited to listen to some stories today. I feel like I get to be a little bit more of a background participant, so it should be good. <laughs> you, have to, you have to let us know how our storytelling is. Yeah. Hero's journey, right? That's something. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ready. Uh, Joseph Campbell all the way. So Harrison, I, in my role doing content and marketing, mm-hmm. I think about storytelling a lot in terms of You don't want to, in the case of like content marketing, just say, hey, buy my product. (laughs) Tell me a story of how, why I should care about this and and make me feel like the hero of my own story and that sort of thing. So how does storytelling, what does it have to do with user research and why is it so important? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just kind of reflecting on things and, and again, just referencing where we're at in regards to the nature of work, working from home, a lot of folks have to really really be very, I shouldn't say for lack of a better word, ruthless with their time. We've got families, we've got to live our life and forever these things, or at least right now, they're actually more interconnected than ever. And organizationally, we're starting to work more horizontally, more collaboratively than ever before. And so with that emphasis on time, when we're starting to meet with folks, we need to be as effective as possible. And storytelling has been a tool that has been able to really allow us to develop just sort of a core understanding across the board, regardless of if you're in research, design, engineering, data science, product, to be able to really start focusing on the problems. And I think research plays a very integral role to that, right? Because grounding your stories in fact and in your users are going to be super important. And in terms of any sort of organization that you're in, people are at the center of your core business plan of, of, of what you're doing. It's just a necessary sort of fact that we need to have versus generating stories for entertainment value. Do you think about it within user research as like a skill people just need to have? So like when you're having conversations, you can just be a kind of natural storyteller mm. and you can develop that. And that way you're just more engaging and people remember more of what you share. Or is it something yeah. that like you use deliberately of, okay, I have all these outputs from this research and now I'm going to go turn it into a story to share. And it's like more of a deliberate thing versus more of an ad hoc. I'm just having a conversation, but using storytelling techniques as a part of that. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think user research has an opportunity to really get folks in the mode of storytelling because while I think it's great for an individual to potentially be able to do that, I think you should empower your other partners to be able to tell stories just as effectively as you are. I think ultimately we want to get in a situation where it's not a handoff, where research does this thing and then everyone relies on research to tell that story. It should be something that ideally you're working with your product managers and you're working with your design partners to be able to actually be cohesive in terms of telling that same story. Because again, I'm not a person that likes to to talk about how can we be more efficient, but having to go to the researcher every single time is just not going to be effective. We want to make sure that everyone really resonates with it. You know, we can collectively have that at the forefront whenever we're approaching any sort of problem. So when we're talking about storytelling, we're not just talking about this kind of one-way communication of, you know, to JH's point, you listen and I'll tell you a story. It's really having those stories be understood and become sort of, you know, folklore right within the organization where everyone knows these stories and can then use them. You know, when we talk about stories, what are we talking about? Because we're all familiar with user stories. Yeah. So that would be yeah. one kind of story. But uh, more broadly speaking, what, how might that manifest? Yeah, yeah. You know, I work on an enterprise set of tools at LinkedIn. And so, you know, I think the challenge with that is we're a pretty big organization and we're designing tools, but we're not necessarily marketers. <laughs> and so I think it might manifest itself in terms of how it influences strategy. I think storytelling is a big part in terms of your role being a strategic partner that can influence the roadmap. I think if you have a solid understanding of what that is, it actually empowers you to be able to push back. It's like, hey, we actually, throughout research, and then even if we're thinking about our story, like maybe you can say, I don't think that's a priority right now. We can go back to sort of looking at it from maybe, you know, an artifact. Let's say you're doing some sort of journey mapping. You can say, hey, here are the emotions that are evoked at this port. There's a ton of friction. Maybe we realize that amount of friction, if we can solve that, it can create a ton of value. It can maybe help us stick out in the market. And so I think there's a, a number of research methodologies that can be applied to inform that story. And those would be sort of like those reference points that you can always go back to. So if you're in a part of a story, you can say, look, we had a survey, or we can look at some qualitative data as well as quantitative data that backs this up to really sort of push this. So instead of I almost think of that story uniting a lot of the qualitative and quantitative work versus just looking at the artifacts. You're actually wrapping it up in something that is easily digestible by folks that may not necessarily be experts in some of these different sort of areas. I know that if I'm listening to an engineer give a speech around their technical roadmap, it's probably going to go over my head because I'm just not familiar with all those terms. And so I think if you can put yourself in that mindset of how can I better be able to interpret these things, I think storytelling is really that tool that can help you become more effective in, in communicating those things. You mentioned journey maps and, and like artifacts, and mm-hmm. there's the saying, right, of the medium is the message. Yeah. Like, how do you think of storytelling within user research in terms of like how you're actually telling the story? Is it slides or mm-hmm. other things or written? What forms work best as it is like around conveying stuff to other parts of the organization? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's really interesting. I get to work with a number of researchers. I get to work with a number of designers. And sort of what I found is that it is really based on your organization 
in terms of how they interpret it best. I found in some cases, slides are a great tool to sort of go into these types of things. But I think all in all, like synthesis of your research is probably the most important thing to start to craft. Because again, I think if you start to go extremely deep, you might lose people. So I think one part of, of the storytelling piece that is extremely important is understanding who your audience is. In the same sort of way that we approach design, right? Like for lack of a better term, like what are the constraints we're dealing with? Constraints could be time. It could be the types of folks that are in the room. It could be the depth of knowledge on the subject matter. And so with that, I think it takes going back and saying and picking and choosing maybe comparing against what are the values of the organization? What are the priorities? And then what are the parts of this sort of research study that we really need to convey? I think what you really want to have is once you start to share that information, you want it to be actionable. You want it to have some sort of influence versus just showing the definition or the how. It's thinking, how can I help influence this product? What are things that are really going to stick out? And I also think it takes understanding what is like the business angle on this. On that note, these stories can be motivating. They can draw people together. They can create catalysts for change. Mm -hmm. They create this kind of shared understanding and alignment. Do you have examples of when a story that came out of user research turned out to be really impactful and how a team or a company was approaching or thinking about something? Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I was actually presenting at this conference. In a, it was supposed to be in South Africa, but it was remotely. One of the things I, I talked about, my talking track was innovation by design. And there's this sort of assumption that innovation or having that aha moment is thinking outside of the box, like something super crazy. But I think it really starts foundationally. Like what, what are the goals of what we're trying to do? And does our product really do that for us? And I can tell you time and time again, just getting back into the foundation in terms of, or the fundamentals and the basics of just like our standard offerings. I can tell you, we've done this at base. We've done this at LinkedIn and it's uncovered just small incremental changes in some areas can make a huge impact. I think that's a big part of it. I, I just don't think organizations are utilizing research as much as they should. I think research is underestimated in a lot of organizations because I don't think people understand the value of what it is. Because in order to execute research, you need time and companies want to move fast. You know, I think it's allowing the time and space to slow down on that roadmap to, to really start to be like, okay, let's really get a pulse check on where we are. And maybe that can start to inform some opportunity areas for us. Yeah. So story storytelling can be really useful at the sort of product discovery and earlier on and, and finding new opportunity spaces, new problems to solve. Have you also seen it be effective deeper in the product development process when trying you're trying to find solutions to known problems or smaller yeah. feature enhancement and, and more granular changes? All the time. I think we've, my team especially, we've shifted our approach to this. We usually, we have something that we call a stakeholder review and, and it is more of a pulse in terms of what our product strategy looks like. And so storytelling is research is actually really necessary to help inform form what that is. And I think as you start to have more maturity in your product, 
your user set's likely going to be a little bit more sophisticated. And with that, there might be a little bit of a delta in terms of being, you know, partners being knowledgeable about sort of those efforts. And one of, one of the ways that we look at it is here's a current experience, right? That we can go through. I think research plays a really big part in highlighting the things that work and where there are opportunities. But then additionally, we also are able to do vision work where we start to say, this is where we could be. Like we understand this is the current experience for customers that use our product, but here's where we could be. Now, it's also going to be important as well to level those expectations, right? Rome wasn't built in a day and we don't operate on an infinite set of resources. And with that, the research product design combo design at least works with research to say, okay, how can we maybe split this up into digestible chunks? I think research will also inform what are, again, what are the, what are the, the features or the concepts that are going to generate the most value? So I think research also helps in terms of how we need to prioritize that. Again, that is something that we also want to keep in line with our product partners as well, because we also need to think about how it's, it's going to, how to keep the business running. But yeah, we've seen that applied early in the process from a discovery perspective, as well as looking into new frontiers for us. The way you described the vision piece made me think yeah. of the way that like founders of startups will pitch their business almost, you know what I mean? Like yeah. telling a, a story about a future world. And it feels yeah. like those are usually stronger when you can pull in real examples or real quotes of someone's current frustration stuff. Like how do you yeah. weave in like some of the firsthand things you heard from users into like the stories you're telling? Yeah. You know, I think there's a, I think my impetus in terms of just going in the storytelling route is we were getting too much into the weeds of a button or a modal or the color or how can we make a pop? And I'd rather save those conversations in our design critiques. Going a little bit more high level allows us to do that. Currently, we'll frame the problem. And, and when we're framing the problem, that's when we'll generally bring in some of those quotes. Once we start to get into the story, we take a lot of what, we, what we've learned in our research and we'll turn that and personify it into the story. And so I think, again, like those real world quotes, those are going to be the things that are going to really evoke that, that emotion or that empathy from the folks that you're presenting to. Because... I think in the same startup sense, you're aiming for the, the same thing. But I think in that sense, those folks may not necessarily be direct, working directly on that product. In this case, people are likely going to be a lot more connected to, to their product. So I think the quotes will resonate a lot more because they understand that they have a context on it. And they've been working on these strategies. And a lot of the success of their work is attributed to a lot of this foundational thing. So I think it's really understanding and hey, we're partners in this. Let's walk together on this journey and bringing them into the fold. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research. And we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more. So we've went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your 
favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. If I had to guess, I'd imagine most user researchers might not describe themselves as storytellers, Hmm. but they are putting together reports and summaries of, of the research that happened and sharing that with people. Yeah. What's like an easy way for somebody who's maybe in that camp who doesn't really view or consider themselves a storyteller to feel more like a storyteller? Like what's something that they could do, you know, tomorrow or on their next report to uh, like shift in that direction uh, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think the moment I get a lot of aha moments when folks just put things down in a user journey. If you can start off by walking through a user journey, it's a great exercise to just start. Being a storyteller, you don't need to be whimsical or super charismatic to start with. And I actually don't I actually don't think it's 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 necessary at all, but I think if you can again ground it in that fact, I think that's that's effect. That's like where you're going to get effect be effective. I've seen some very charismatic there are very charismatic people that are con artists and you don't want to be in that camp. <laughs> Um, think of any off the top. <clears throat> <laughs> exactly. I think it's important to understand that storytelling is a tool set. It's a part of your tool set. It's just as important as executing on the research side of things because you want people to take action on it. Why are you going to do all of that work with your partners if no one's going to take heed of it? Yeah. Um, and I really like how you're talking about storytelling because I do think you think of like whimsy and some of these sort of charisma and some of these things you're saying. A storyteller, you know, a good story doesn't have to be those things. You're right. describing the 19th century realist novel of stories. So I think facts we can think of as being bullet points and dry and data, but I also don't think that's what you're saying. You're saying that a story doesn't have to be hyperbolic or fiction, that it can be rooted in facts, but you're contextualizing those facts, right? You're exactly. painting a picture of what the user is experiencing and doing that in a true way that people can understand yes. and care about. E yeah. e exactly. And, and look, I would probably say most folks are, most of the anxiety that comes from storytelling is around probably what is the reception? Like, how are people going to receive my story? And I will say, I think if you're going in this, if you're making things up, it's a lot harder to get confidence behind it. But I think, again, like if we go about what is the mutual contract of everyone in this company, it's going to be centered around your users. And so I think there's a, there's a level of confidence that goes behind it, right? Because you're reaffirming the work that you're doing. And I think storytelling should be something that we are all empowered to do. I think researchers and all your partners should really think about storytelling as a tool. Because on top of it being an effective tool of communication and alignment, it's also a great litmus test to look at and, and, and do some introspection of, of, do I really understand this? And I think there's going to be a level of confidence that you're going to be able to exude once you can actually have an understanding and really get people on board with it. It's like how they say teaching is the best way to learn or a, a way to learn anyhow, that you really come to learn what you know and what you don't know when you're trying to teach someone something, a similar idea. Exactly. Or it's just like when you're reading off of a PowerPoint every single word. <laughs> yeah, it's so brutal. <laughs> right. Oh, man. It's, if, I, if I really only 
I, I, it's a lot different when you can confidently present that where you don't need to look at the words. It's mm-hmm. a total different shift. And it's, and people can see that, like they can see that in your body language. So I think all of that comes added once you start to gain that confidence and, and understanding of, of what you're really solving for. I've been racking my brain of when we've done research and talked to users and what we learn and, and things that get shared internally and stick with all of us as mini little stories. And I guess what I'm starting to wonder is, do you think of like the what you get out of a research, like a batch of research is actually like a collection of short stories that you like weave together into a collection? Or is it like, or are you trying to put it all together into the one arc and the one thing? Because I feel like some of the stuff that I have the most recall of are like the short little tidbits of someone telling us once that when they have a no-show from for one of our participants, it's really stressful for them because they invite yeah. their boss and other stakeholders to the meeting and they sit in the room and they feel like it's their fault. And that little like quick mm. antidote is something that like I think we mention all the time internally. And um just curious how you think about that, like short stories versus a larger arc. Yeah. I think every any story that you can get long term is gonna benefit the company. I think it's gonna create a, a more clear and concise sort of idea of what the big picture looks like. I think, again, it's going to take understanding sort of the business side of things of what you're trying to prioritize or what you should prioritize. And I don't think there's necessarily a need to disregard like these smaller stories, right? Because they all play in line. But I will say the picture gets clearer the more you mature as in as an organization in terms of your function of research and in terms of the maturity of your product. And so short stories, I've, I found that generally short stories that we may have conducted a couple of quarters ago, those might have verbatims that arise in something that, might, that, that we're focusing our strategy on now. And so I think it's going to take, it, it takes a level of organizing your research where it's easily accessible to be able to go back and for all parties to go back as well. So I think all of it, any type, any form, any type of research is actually effective and for the greater good and the collective as the organization starts to move forward. Hopefully, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's, I think I might be too hung up on the literal like story part of like, I can read a book of short stories or I can read a novel. And I think what you're getting at is the more important part of it in terms of knowing what stories are going to be impactful to the business because you have this broader context and you're using that in a very thoughtful way in terms of how you share and what you share and all, and all of that. Yep. It's interesting um, though, there are all these vectors to stories and we've talked about there's the sort of like format and the ingredients of a story. We're doing a podcast now, right? So this is yeah. an audio medium, but there's also that aspect of telling a visual story versus an audio mm. story versus a written story. Is that something you think about much, Harrison? And just to mix all the metaphors all up together, <laughs> when you think about like short stories and long stories and you know, visual stories and audio stories, yeah. and now I'm exactly. thinking of like a patchwork quilt of all these things because they add up together to your point, there aren't any bad stories if they're adding to your understanding over time. But do you think about that much in terms of what medium or media is going to best convey this story to this audience? Yeah, that's a really that's a really great question. In the same way that when we're going through generative methods from a design perspective, it is honestly a case-by-case situation. I think at the end of the day, when it comes to organizations, no matter 
what you try to do in regards to operationalizing things, people are going to interpret them totally different. People are always going to be the X factor. And I do think it takes a little bit of experimenting with your groups to understand what mediums might be more comfortable, right? Some folks don't mind having Slack messages. Some folks just love having video chats. And then some folks just love email. And I think with that being said, it's understanding on your audience, which is the most effective, where are people, you know, living and breathing in terms of their work. I'm always a big, I'm always a big person that when it comes to design, you have to go to them. <laughs> and so really take an understanding again of the audience of like where they're at. I, I think I think the most effective storytelling in a design sense in the function of design and research is going to be visual. I, I think a lot of times folks are really bogged down in, in PRDs and reports and emails. But I think given the limited set of time that you're going to have with your cross-functional folks, a combination of audio-visual are going to be the most effective. And that's what I've seen. Now, in terms of how that's visualized, I think that is also going to be incumbent on who, who those folks are. I, I, like, I actually have, there's a principal designer that I work with, and, and we were actually talking the other day around, he was actually doing a project with a number of executives. And executives are super limited on time. And in terms of idea, generative methods, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And so he actually reshifted the way that he was working with them to get ideas out of them. And so I think it was a journey map at first, and then it turned into sort of a, a connection node, and then eventually it moved into something else. And he realized that the third try was a charm. And so I think with that being said, I think it's the same sort of way that we should think about it. It's, okay, let's check in. After that, or actually during it, did everyone have a blank face? <laughs> did they even understand and interpret? Are people still asking me questions around what this means? You know what I'm saying? I think those are mm -hmm. good sort of sort of places to check in and just really hone in on that. If people, if you're going in these meetings and people aren't really ingesting that in the way that you want them to or would like them to, I think you should start to maybe ask and check in. Hey, was that effective? Did I deliver my my message okay? Like, where did you get lost? I think these are great places to start. Do you on that last piece? I feel like with the pandemic and everyone now being virtual. Mm -hmm. It does feel like a new challenge for folks, right? Like yeah. when you're presenting in a room, there is like literally the ability to read the room a little and yeah. you can know maybe if you need to speed up or get to it or throw in a joke or something, you can change up your communication style yeah. based on that feedback. And it's much harder to get that feedback over, you know, Zoom or other video tools. Yeah. How, how do people approach that? Yeah, that's, man, that's a, that's another great question. I... I think I mentioned this again, the way that we work has fundamentally shifted. And again, I think it's from a time because of a time perspective. What I would do is make sure that everyone that you feel is necessary for that meeting is in the room. And the reason that I say that is folks are going to start asking questions, right? And I think in a group setting, it's going to be more likely that you're going to be able to get a better pulse. That's just generally what I found. And I've also found that when you're in the room, that is probably your opportunity to start to, to gauge that. And so I think having pauses for allowing pauses for questions in the middle of your presentation after we've actually 
try to get our presentations down within 10 to 15 minutes so we can have the remainder 15 minutes for mm -hmm. question and answer. Utilize time. Really optimize. I think optimizing on telling a story that is digestible too and not too long is going to be extremely helpful. But create an opportunity for your audience to start asking questions to provide that feedback. And I think simply just ask your, I think it's okay to ask for feedback. Just be like, hey, hit me on Slack if you have any additional feedback. We've also been doing document as an aside, a Google Doc as an aside where people can start to ask questions or, or comments as well. I know it's I know it's also extremely difficult to even look at the comment section. Somebody has to solve like this Zoom issue because I think as a presenter, you are in the dark. Other ways too that you can do that is is also maybe even getting someone that can facilitate the session for you that can start to cue in and start to get start to engage the audience and see if there's any sort of questions and, and monitor the vibe. Have you heard any good stories recently? Have I heard any good stories recently? Or, oh. or told any? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've, is this in work or in general? Is this Any story yeah, will do. Head, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I've been watching a bunch of terrible Netflix movies. Nice. There's, your, there's your story right there. There's stories right there. I've been there. watching Cobra Kai, which is pretty bad, but I'm enjoying it. How do you feel about that? I just feel that like the quality of storytelling in some of these movies are just getting it out because they know people have no choice. So let's see, storytelling, a really good storytelling. This is a this is not a good question for me because I'm really bad at remembering Telling movies stories. that I've watched. <laughs> yeah. No, tell us well, tell us about the LinkedIn user, right? Nothing proprietary, you can't share or whatever, but what's like a story that um, has been interesting to learn or share? in your work at LinkedIn. Yeah, I think what's been actually pretty interesting is the fact that conferences are no longer existent. In-person conferences are no longer mm -hmm. in existence. And we've just seen like a resurgence in the use of our events product. And I think there's a lot of really cool stories that are coming out of that because at the end of the day, people come to LinkedIn to, to network. And I think a lot of folks are really yearning for that connection. There's there are some things, some instances, like even presenting, right? There are some differences in terms of how we interact with folks that we just don't have anymore. And how does this manifest itself in a digital realm? And so mm. I think there's a lot of interesting sort of stories there. And, and I think oh, to that, okay. there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of opportunity because of that. So and you're yeah. seeing this across the board. I think the growth of Zoom exudes a lot of just the, the shift in we're getting a lot of articles in terms of, you know, how this sort of gap in the digital presence is creating a lot of frustration for people, right? Whether it yeah. be really being able to connect with folks or learning from home as a child, as a developing child, and, and even in college. So I think there's some interesting stories there. And I think it's interesting because I think with the feature releases that you start to see on these different platforms... You can tell they're, they're, they're clearly listening to folks. And so I think that's a great sort of real world example of how that process really comes into play here. So, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.